Let's pray and ask God to meet us in his word. What a rich time we've had so far this morning, Lord. And and now we want to open up your word. And you said in Isaiah 66 that you, you look upon those who tremble at your word. That doesn't mean trembling with like a cringing fear that is moving away, but it means trembling with awe and wonder that we have before us the the very words of the God of the universe. And so, Lord, put that trembling in our hearts now. Help us learn. Help us understand. Help us say yes. And I pray that you would use this passage to transform the way we respond to trials. Teach us new things, Lord. Work in our hearts by your Spirit. Help me as I preach to be clear and to have the right heart, I pray. And we ask that you do a mighty work. In Jesus' name, amen. So in the Bible, uh, God's very clear, passage after passage, that every follower of Jesus Christ will face trials. I hope you really understand that it's so crucial. Every follower of Jesus Christ will face trials. And it is so important that we learn how to respond to trials because the Bible also teaches that trials can have one of two very different um, impacts on us. Trials can weaken our faith so we're drawn away from Christ. Or trials can strengthen our faith so we're drawn closer to Christ. Trials can weaken our faith. Jesus taught in the parable of the four soils that trials can actually like crush the spiritual life out of us, can kill the spiritual life that's in us. He, he warns us about that. So trials can weaken faith. But trials also can strengthen faith. Paul says in Romans 5 that trials can strengthen our endurance and our godly character and give us even more hope in Christ. So depending on how we respond to trials, trials will either weaken our faith so we're drawn away from Christ or strengthen our faith so we're drawn more closely to Christ. And Which is why it's crucial that we learn how to respond to trials. How should we respond so that we can be drawn closer to Christ and strengthened in our faith in Christ. And that's the point of Psalm 119, verses 73 through 80. So let's go ahead and turn to that passage. Psalm 119, verses 73 through 80. Now, if you need a Bible, thanks guys, raise your hand. We want you to have a copy of the Bible in front of you so you can study this passage with us. We're passionate about opening up God's Word and studying. I want you to walk away knowing this text, understanding this text today, so that the words of this text are are just resonating in your hearts. So raise your hand, we'll bring you a Bible, and in the Bibles we just passed out, this passage is on page 513, very bottom of page 513, then goes up into page 514. Now last week, in the previous eight verses, that's verses 65 through 72, we saw the author telling us that God is good even though he allows trials to come into our lives. Here's why God is good even though he allows us to be afflicted with trials. And there's two reasons. It's because sometimes when our, our hearts are departing from the word of God and we're disobedient to the word of God, sometimes God will allow trials to come into our lives to, to shake us up, to wake us up to what's going on. What have I been doing? 
I've been drifting from the Lord. And so we'll turn back to the word, to walking in the word, to meeting him in the word, having the joy of beholding him in the word. So that's one way that trials bring us great good, great benefit, which is why God's good when he does that. But there's other times where we're not departing from the word. We're walking in the word. But God still allows trials to come into our lives because in that time of affliction and trial, when we're feeling our neediness and we're desperate for more of God's grace, we're hungry for God's help, we we need to cry out to God to receive comfort from him in that passion and that earnestness and that desperation when we open up God's word and with that longing we, we seek God in the word, because of that longing that's there, he will meet us so powerfully so we will have sweeter, deeper, richer fellowship with God in the word than we would have had without a trial. So whether it's because you've been walking away from the word and he brings trials to bring you back to the word, or whether you're walking in the word and he brings you trials to take you deeper into the word, in both cases, it's great goodness from God because it brings you all the more joy in beholding him in the word through Jesus Christ, which is what life is all about. So that was last week's eight verses. As I studied these next eight verses, verses 73 through 80, I noticed that in these verses, he's continuing the topic of afflictions. He hasn't moved on to something else. So let me show you how I saw that and then ask the question about what he's saying in these next eight verses. So start in verse 73, Psalm 119, 73 through 80. He says, your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. There's one clue. He's still talking about afflictions. So verse 75, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. So here he's asking for comfort in the midst of his afflictions. And that's what he's asking for also in verse 77 with different words. He says, let your mercy come to me, his comforting mercy that I may live for your law is my delight. Verse 78, let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. You know, these are the same insolent people that he talked about in last week's passage in verse 69. Remember what the problem was? They had smeared him with lies. They had slandered him. So he's still talking about these insolent people. So he's continuing the theme of the last eight verses. Verse 79, let those who fear you Turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. Okay, so in verses 65 through 72, the previous eight verses, he explains why God is good when he allows afflictions to come into our lives. And now in these eight verses, he's talking about how we should respond to afflictions. If God's purpose in bringing us afflictions is either to bring us back to the word, so we meet him in the word, or to deepen us in the word, so we behold him more in the word, if that's his purpose, then how should we respond to the trials when they come come along our way? 
How should we respond to the afflictions that we experience and that we face? That's the question the author is dealing with here in verses 73 through 80. How should we respond to afflictions? And as I studied these eight verses, I saw seven ways we should respond to afflictions. So here's what I want you to be thinking about as we go through these seven ways. Are these how you respond when afflictions come? Is this how you live, how you act, how you relate to God when afflictions come? So ask that question as we work on the question, how should we respond to affliction? This, this is timely. I mean, I would guess that most of you are going through afflictions right now. Um, and if you're not, then, then you will be, right? Because we're not in heaven yet, all right? In heaven, no afflictions, no more mourning, no more trials, no more tears, no more death. But here it's war, and we face afflictions. Followers of Jesus, those who love him the most, like Job, the most faith, the most righteous man in all the world, the book of Job tells us, he suffered great afflictions. Okay? So we need to learn how to respond. This is so crucial. Oh, if, if we could, after this morning, have these seven principles embedded in our hearts, then every time an affliction comes, it will not destroy the spiritual life from us. It will deepen the spiritual life in us. It won't take us away from Christ. It will deepen us in Christ. It's my longing for me. It's my longing for Mercy Hill Church. So let's ask God to do that this morning. Seven ways we should respond when facing afflictions. First, ask God to give you understanding so you can learn his word. Now that just makes sense, doesn't it? In the previous eight verses, he's explained to us why God allows afflictions. Either to bring us back to the word or to deepen us in the word. And so if, the, if one of the reasons God has this affliction is to give us even more joy in beholding him in the word, then if we're not going to waste our afflictions, we should ask him to do the purpose for which he's brought the afflictions. Namely, give me understanding. Teach me your word. Open my heart to behold your word more clearly. And that's verse 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. You're my creator. You've allowed these afflictions to come. You're my God. You're my creator. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Now, it might puzzle you that we need to ask God to give us understanding about his word. I mean, can't we just read? I mean, if you know how to read, you just read. I mean, can't we just read the words? And we can, but there's a problem. And that is our indwelling sin blinds us So, yes, we can read the words, but we can't really see and feel the truth of those words. So we can read the words, God is glorious. You can understand what those words, God is glorious. I get that, okay? But our indwelling sin can keep us from really seeing God is glorious and feeling God is glorious. You know, you've had times where you've read and it's just been like, flat, right? And you've had times where you've read and you're seeing it. Just like what Dave shared he's been experiencing and reading the word lately. And so that's why we should pray. One of the purposes for afflictions is to bring us back to the word or to deepen us in the word. So let's pray that God does that then. So we pray and then we open up the word 
And we read, because that's one of the purposes for this affliction, is so we will see God more clearly, enjoy Him more fully, worship Him more passionately in the Word as we behold the truth of who He is in Jesus Christ. So that's first response. Ask God to give you understanding so you can learn His Word. Do you ask God that often? Do you pray and say, God, teach me. Overcome the sin in my heart so I can... Not just read, but I can see and I can feel the truth of who you are. I hope you pray that. It will impact your times reading the scriptures to pray that. So that's the first response to affliction. The second one is verse 74. Look at what he says. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. Now, this was puzzling to think about. What, what's he saying there? Notice, he's not asking God to do this. He's saying that God will do this. He's telling God, you're going to do this. He's just heard that the purpose for afflictions is to take us back to or deeper into the word. And so, in, in, in the first verse there, verse 73, he prays that God will give him understanding And then in verse 74, I think what he's doing is he's saying, God, I know you will answer this prayer. You will give me more hope in you as I read your word prayerfully. You will do that. And then when I am strengthened in hope in your word, those around me who love you, who fear you, they will see my hope in you in the midst of these trials and they will rejoice when they see that. So that's the point of verse 74. It's to affirm to God that he will give you such hope that other believers are encouraged. Now think about this. When we go through trials, we usually are not full of hope, right? Naturally, that's not our response. When we go through trials, we feel hopeless. We feel discouraged. We feel low. That's the problem. But God promises in his word that if when we're in the midst of trials, if we will pray, ask for his help, and then open up God's word and see who he is and behold his promises and trust his promises and worship him for who he is, as we do that, he promises that by the work of the Holy Spirit, he will give us hope in him. We will hope in him. And so what's happening in verse 74 is he, he's taking the step, he's saying, God, I know that you're going to do this. You will fill me with hope, and those around me who love you in the midst of this difficult situation, which looks hopeless, as you fill me with hope, other believers are going to see me and then say, God's good. God's faithful. God's given you hope even in the midst of this trial. Now there's two benefits that come from, from saying this to God. I mean, have you ever done this? As you're heading into a trial, as you've ever, ever said, God, I pray, or no, he doesn't, he's not praying, he's speaking it. God, you will cause my fellow believers to rejoice when they see me because I'm so hopeful in your word. That's what you're going to do, God. Have you ever done that in a trial? God, I know you're going to so fill me with hope that those in my home group, my wife, my kids, my husband, they're going to see my hope in you and they're going to rejoice. Say that to God when you're in the midst of trials. Why? I thought of two reasons. One is it's going to strengthen your faith because it's true. God promises that that will happen. And so you're speaking to God the truth of his word and that will strengthen your faith. There's a second reason I thought this would be helpful. 
If you're anything like me, when you're in the midst of a trial, I'm just kind of thinking about me when I'm in the midst of a trial. That's kind of the focal point. That's about as, as broad as my vision gets, me and my trial. But when you tell God, I know, Lord, you're going to so fill me with hope that those around me are going to see my hope and rejoice, it enlarges your vision to think of people around you. And that will be encouraging too. And it gives you a little broader sense that, Lord, you can use my affliction and the hope you give me to encourage my brothers and sisters around me. So that's encouraging and that's strengthening. So do that. Affirm to God that you know he's going to fulfill his promises to give you hope and that others will be rejoicing. Okay, now, third crucial response to afflictions. Verse 75, he says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you've afflicted me. I would really encourage you to memorize this verse. I've been working on this one. This is life-giving when you're in the midst of trials because your tendency is to think God's rules are not righteous and he he doesn't afflict us in faithfulness. But both of these statements are true. God's rules are righteous. Namely, the fact that he calls you in trials to trust him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's what he calls us to do, to trust him, to rejoice in him, to hope in him. That's righteous. That's the truth. That's truth. And in faithfulness, he afflicts us. God afflicts us in faithfulness. The psalmist knows that, and so he's affirming that. God, your rules are righteous, and you afflict in faithfulness. You are faithful to me in allowing this trial to come my way. This trial does not show that you're not faithful. This trial is evidence that you are faithful. It's a powerful statement in verse 75. Now, it's a little puzzling, though. He, he says, I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you've afflicted me. So if he knows that, why does he tell God he knows that? Right? Why does he say, God, I know that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you've afflicted me. Why does he tell God that he knows that? I think it's because as he affirms these truths to God, he knows that his faith is going to be strengthened. This is part of fighting the fight of faith. So I put, the, put it this way. Strengthen your faith by speaking to God the truth of his word. James Fraser uh, was a missionary to... Um, the Lisu people in southeast China, early 1900s. I've been reading his biography. And here's how he did this. When you read his biography, he had times of terrible um, discouragement, hopelessness, feeling defeated, feeling like there was nothing was going to happen here because for years he was sharing the gospel and saw nothing happening. And so here's how he learned to fight the fight of faith as he was experiencing afflictions. Here's what he says. Is it up there? Oh, thank you so much. It says, In times of conflict, I find deliverance through repeating Scripture out loud. Appropriate Scripture brought to my mind through the Holy Spirit. It is like crashing through opposition. Then he quotes from James 4, 7. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So do you do this? When you're going through trials, do you speak to God, affirm to God the truth of his word, the truth of his promises? That's what James Fraser did. 
And he said that when he did that, it was like crashing through opposition. His heart was changed. Hopelessness was broken. Okay, sense of defeat was demolished. He was crashing through opposition. So here's what I would encourage you to do. You set verse 75 and speak that to God when you're going through trials. Fight the fight of faith by speaking to God. I know, Lord, that your rules are righteous and that in faithfulness you've afflicted me. Speak that to the Lord. Say, Lord, I I praise you. I worship you. This is the truth. I may not be feeling this right now. Help me strengthen my faith through this, but it is the truth, so strengthen me with your truth. So there's verse 75 we can use. I've also found help using Lamentations 3, uh, verses 22 through 25. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. So Lord, I know that this trial that's come, it's not that your loving kindness has ceased because your loving kindnesses never cease. So this trial is part of your loving kindness to me. And you speak that and your faith will be strengthened. Faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And so as you speak God's promises back to him, your faith will be strengthened. I've also found help um, with 2 Corinthians 4. Which, where Paul says momentary light afflictions are producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And so to say, Father, I know that this trial is a momentary light affliction compared to the glory I will see in your Holy Son forever in heaven. And I know that this momentary light affliction is producing for me something. It's producing something for me. It's not wasted. It's producing more of that beholding of your glory in your Holy Son, Jesus, forever. So as I am fighting the fight of faith, setting my eyes upon you, I'm going to be experiencing more joy in beholding your glory in Christ forever. Momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory. So take verses like that. Learn more verses. And when you're in the midst of the tribulation, speak to God, affirm to God, Lord, I know these are true. Help me to believe them. Thank you for them. Strengthen my faith in them. And he will. That's third. Fourth, ask God for experiential comfort in his presence. I think most all Christians know that God promises to give us comfort when we go through trials. But I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what that means. Um, it's not just, okay, I'm supposed to feel comforted here. I've, I've got to, somehow I've got, to, I've got to feel comforted. When God gives comfort by the Holy Spirit, what you say is, God's comforting me. Because He is. It's not something you're making up. It's not something you're trying to experience. You're, he comes and He actually comforts us in heartfelt, experiential ways. And that's what the psalmist is asking for in verses 76 and 77. Look at verse 76. He says, Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. So he's asking God, comfort me with your steadfast love. Come. I'm not, it's not happening now. I'm not experiencing it now. Comfort me with your steadfast love. And so then what, what you do is you open up God's word and you read about God's steadfast love. You read about his love, the faithfulness of his love, the power of his love, the wisdom of his love, the perfection of his love, and you trust his love as you read about it in the scriptures. You trust, I trust your steadfast love, Father, in Christ. And as you do that, God will give you times 
when he pours his actual steadfast love into your heart. And he will comfort you. He will strengthen you. He will fill you. So that's what he's asking for in verse 76. And then look at verse 77. He asks the same thing in different words. Let your mercy come to me, that I may live, for your law is my delight. Now, why ask God's mercy to come to you? In Christ, hasn't God's mercy already come? And yes, it has. No doubt about it. It's already already come to you. But what he's asking God to do here is to help him see your mercy, see God's mercy so clearly in the scriptures, and to trust God's mercy as revealed in the scriptures, that he will behold and feel and experience God's mercy. And the Holy Spirit can do that. So you see and you feel God's mercy. He's so merciful. I'm seeing it. Look at it. And when you see and behold God's mercy in the Word, with the work of the Holy Spirit enlightening the eyes of your heart, God's mercy is so perfect and so beautiful and so majestic and so pure and so powerful that when you experience God's mercy in that way, no matter how difficult the trial might be that you go through, you will be comforted. You'll be comforted. God's mercy. I see it. I feel it. Thank you. So that's what he's he's praying for. So when you go through afflictions, trials, difficulties, ask God to give you comfort by the Holy Spirit. Pour your comfort into my heart. And you open up the word and you read and you pray over the word and you trust the word and the Holy Spirit will come through the word and comfort your heart with his steadfast love and his mercy. So that's, that's fourth. Do you do that? Do you pray and ask God, God, comfort me. Comfort me. Oh, let's start doing that. Fifth, he asks God to stop the affliction and bring justice. That's verse 78. He says, let the insolent be put to shame because they've wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Now, sometimes Christians think that because God has allowed the affliction, therefore I should just endure the affliction, and I shouldn't ask God to remove it because he allowed it. But there are times where God allows afflictions to come because as you pray for it, then he will remove the affliction. Okay? That's, and that's why we pray. We don't know what it's going to be this time, but we pray and ask God to remove it. Okay, so David, for example, prayed that his sick son would be healed. Hezekiah prayed that God would give more years to his life. Uh, Paul prayed three times that his thorn in the flesh would be taken away. And what the author is doing here is he's praying and saying, let these insolent people be put to shame. Now remember, these are insolent people. He mentions it back in verse 69. They've been smearing him with lies, or the way he puts it here is, they've wronged me with falsehood. They've been publicly slandering him. And so he's praying, God put them to shame. Now commentators give different answers as to what that exactly means. And I think there's there's probably three possibilities. Maybe they're all the case. But it could mean, to say God put them to shame, he could mean, change their heart so they stop slandering me. That is, just please have this affliction stop. Or change their hearts so they stop slandering me and turn to you to salvation. That could be part of what he's asking for. Or 
God, just put them to shame by judging them. Bring your justice in the situation. Unjustice is taking place. It's wrong what they're doing, so bring your justice. But the whole point is he's asking for the situation to change. His affliction to stop. And so when you are in the midst of an affliction, pray and ask God to remove it. God, free me from my unemployment. Bring me a job, please. Or heal the sickness I'm experiencing. Or change my boss's heart. Or work in the life of my child. Or whatever it might be. Ask God to work in the affliction. Pray and ask him to work. But notice that's not all that he says here in verse 78. Did you catch the last part? He says, then, as for me, I will meditate on your precepts. So why does he add that in there? I think he's saying, I'm going to pray for the affliction to stop. I'm going to pray for God to intervene and bring the healing, give the job, have these people stop slandering me. I'm going to pray for that. But, and God may do that. But if he doesn't, I'm going to keep meditating on your word. Because that's your purpose for allowing this affliction in the first place. To bring me back to the word or to see you more clearly in the word, to take me deeper into the word. So I'm going to keep meditating on the word of God because this is where we meet the living God through Jesus. So I'm going to keep there. I'm praying for the affliction to go. And in the meantime, I'm going to keep meeting you, seeking you in the word. That's fifth. Sixth. Ask God to impact others through your hope. Verse 79, let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. Now remember, in verse 74, he had said that he knows God's going to fill him with hope, so those who fear God will rejoice in him. Okay, he knows that that's what God's going to do. Here he prays that that's what God would do. Okay, verse 74, he knows it's going to happen. Here he prays that it would happen. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. Now, as you've been in, a, in an affliction or a trial, have you ever prayed that? I, I've never prayed that before. God, so fill me with hope that people around me will turn to me, see your hope in me, and learn even more of your word. I've never prayed anything like that. I want to encourage, let's start doing that. This is what the author does. Lord, I'm in the midst of an affliction. These insolent people are slandering me. Give me hope in your word and let those who fear you then turn to me that they may know more of who you are, your hope, your testimonies. I can think of a couple benefits of doing this. One is you'll be encouraged when you pray this, okay, because you will then see God answer and help other people through your trials. If you're in the midst of a trial, and you're seeking God, and he's giving you hope, and then you hear about a brother or a sister who is hearing your testimony of God filling you with hope in the midst of the, 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 the darkness of this trial, they'll be encouraged. That will encourage your heart. Thank you, Lord. You're, there's a ripple effect to this trial going on in other people's lives. Other people will be encouraged as they see your hope during your trials. So you'll be encouraged, they'll be encouraged, and God will be glorified. So maybe you, maybe you all have been praying this, but I've never prayed that before in the midst of a trial. So let's add that onto our list. Pray that God will strengthen the hope, deepen the faith of other people as they see our hope in the midst of this affliction. People in our home group, your husband, your wife, your kids. And by the way, parents, tell your kids when you're going through dark times. I mean, how much you share, you may want to be careful about that, but let your kids know when you're having a hard time. 
pray for dad. He's having a hard time here. I'm having a hard time trusting the Lord for this. And then as they see God giving you hope and you share, oh, son, daughter, the Lord's been meeting me. He's been filling me. He's been giving me hope. That will be so powerful for them. So tell them about the trials you go through and tell them about how God brings you hope. That's sixth. Seventh and last. Pray that she'll be blameless through your afflictions. Have you ever prayed this? Verse 80. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. He's asking God, help me to be faithful to you through this trial. Help me not sin through this trial. Help me not complain or grumble through this trial. Strengthen my my faith through this trial. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. Now why does he pray that? It's because he knows, and I hope we all know, your willpower can't pull this off. You cannot do this just by gritting your teeth and trying to. You need God's power, God's help. And the good news is that when we turn to God through Jesus Christ, assured of our forgiveness, clothed with his perfect righteousness, God, help me to be faithful to you. Help me to walk in in the blamelessness of your statutes through this trial. He will do that. He will strengthen you. He will help you. He will encourage you. He will give you hope. He will not let you drift. He will keep you on his path. He will do that when we pray and ask him to. And then you'll be built up. Your brothers and sisters will be encouraged. And he will be greatly glorified. So when you're going through a trial, ask God, let me be blameless in your ways here. This has been really encouraging to me this week. Just to say, Lord, help me. Strengthen me in this trial. I want to walk in blamelessness before you. It's powerful to pray that because you know that he will answer it. Okay, so those are the seven ways to respond to trials. Now, what questions has that raised? Just want to give us a chance to be able to process this. This is deep stuff. This is uh, dealing with trials, which we all deal with all the time. So what, what questions? Am I understanding the passage rightly? Does it make sense how this works in your life? What are some questions that this raises? Paul. How would you uh, interpret Scripture as far as uh, God purposely ordaining afflictions for unbelievers? Like when an unbeliever came and he said, I've been diagnosed with cancer, did God cause this to happen? Hmm. It's a really good question. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. Well, you're not, you're, uh, he did. I mean, the Bible is very clear that he's sovereign over everything. Now, how we explain that, we'll, we will need much grace and much wisdom, uh, depending on where the person's at and how much of understanding of God or, or are they going to be able to understand what we're saying. But they've asked, and so uh, maybe take them to the story of Job um, and uh, and talk about God's great love. You could share ways that you've seen him bringing you great blessing through afflictions he's brought into your own life. Um, so that's my answer. I think we, we need to, I mean, it's the truth. And so we need to be loving and humble and wise and uh, talk about how much how loving God is and how caring he is. Uh, so I, I, that's my thought. Maybe some of you can give a better answer to that. or, or some, How many of you have experienced Somebody who doesn't know the Lord who's going through... Oh, Sean's got something on that. Thanks, Steve. 
It's a valid question because whether it happens to someone we know or whether or not there is a world disaster, such as the Malaysian flight, which is in the current events, or some natural disaster. Um, if, if someone comes to ask us this, we need to be careful not to do as some preachers did during 9-11. This is you know, God's judgment because we don't have that direct knowledge. But right. we do know from Scripture that everyone does have a judgment day yeah. and yeah. that our sin ultimately will bring death. So we can utilize the moment to point them back to the cross and use it as a gospel-sharing opportunity, mm -hmm. but not to have any presumption that we know, oh, it's because of this sin, you know, or right, right. we don't have that knowledge. Right. And we need to be very careful. Very careful. Ground. Yeah, but well said. There's a lot of wisdom there. Somebody else on that question or, or another, another question? Michael? Chuck, thanks. We were talking about this in our home group on Wednesday, uh, talking about being afflicted and God afflicting us. And uh, one of the things that came up is another meaning of afflict is to humble. So, you know, to That's look right. at it, you know, That's God right. caused this to happen. Well, if, if you look at it from the book, God humbled us. It, it, it kind of puts it in a completely different context. And, and of course, I don't know what the context, the correct context is here. But, you know, a lot of times we think of an affliction as, you know, a disease or a pain or, or whatever it is. And, well, sometimes God just humbles us. Mm -hmm. And afflictions, and you can use afflictions to do that also. So that's a good point. Good. Thank you, Michael. Other thoughts? Aaron. Mrs. Belk. Uh -huh. On another topic, yeah. can you define hope? Define hope. Um, hope. The, the definition that I've used it is a it is a rock solid certainty that your future is unbelievably awesome, or something like that. So it's not like I hope so. That's how we use it in the English language a lot. It's kind of a wishful thinking. That's not how the Bible uses the word hope. Hope is a certainty. You know that in Christ. Your future is amazing. And First Peter 1.13 says it all centers on knowing him, beholding him, worshiping him with all the redeemed forever. So follow up, does that, does that, does that sound like a helpful definition or, or not? Yeah, that does because I've always thought of hope as the belief that your circumstances are going to change. Oh. He's diagnosed with cancer and oh. you can't just be like, well, have some hope that that's going to change. Right, no, no, it may not. Yeah, and by the way, when, back to the, the the friend who has cancer is asking us, did God allow this? I mean, th that's a time for weeping with your friend, right? Grieving with your friend, sitting with your friend, talking with your friend. So there's a long conversation needs to go on there. So we need lots of tenderness and lots of time. Um, I mean, Job's friends, it was so helpful when they sat down with him and said nothing for a while. That was the best thing that they did, right? The rest of it wasn't so helpful. And so, anyway, okay. Yes, Josie, go ahead. Well, what, well, this is helpful for the bigger afflictions, but what about the small spites and pains that we go through? Like when we have an unexpected essay due, or when we have, you know, like a really bad cold. How do we take faith with those things? We can't. 
like all of this seems like it's grand and big and you can't really have you can't really have like say uh, you can't say let's my hope through this surprise essay shine a light or something it seems a little melodramatic <laughs> I'll throw that question out to everybody else. So, what about the smaller trials? Michael's got some help with that. It's a really good question, Josie. Well, I'm not sure I have an answer to Josie. I'm just kind of thinking when, uh, especially when a non-believer comes, and, well, you know, why did God do this to me? It, it, it's like, well, yeah, but He's also, you know, it might be a good time to maybe point out the things God's blessed them with. Absolutely. If, Yeah, it's giving you life, and yeah, it's good. Okay, now how about the small trials? So, how do we? Jason's got some help on that. Thanks, Mr. Bilk. I think for me, it'd be more simply that those small trials probably take less time to overcome. It's the same truths, but mm, that's good. Dealing with a major life crisis versus dealing with a quick circumstance would be the same truth you're applying. Just yes. My heart would overcome that. That's good. So bigger trials would probably affect you more deeply and so would take more earnest opening up the word and really fighting and smaller trials may say, Lord, help me with this. I understand what's going on and give me grace. So, Ming Lan, help us. Could you start at the beginning of what you're saying? Would the small trials good exercise for us? We still need to bring it to the Lord. Because as a human, I have a tendency to overcome small trials by my own strength. Yes. Ooh, that's good. Good. Yes, yes. Yes. Oh, well said. Now let's do this. I we need to wrap up for the sake of time after Michael. Good. That was really well said. That was partially my response. My response is why not? Why not bring all of this huh. to the little things because we first of all I think we need to practice. Oh that's good. That's good. Um, and second of all, my experience is the little guys build more little guys and then they um, build more and more little Ooh, guys. Yeah. And then they stage a coup and it becomes big. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. They, they stage a coup. They do. <laughs> but the little guys are they don't seem like oh this is this is trivial. I don't right. Ooh, that's good. Very wise. Okay. Don't let those little guys stage a coup. Okay. Battle them. Battle them. They're not nice. Get them. Okay. Let's do this. I just want us to, I want to pray for us, first of all. And then I, I want us to, if you're going through a trial, an affliction, I'd like you to come up and to stand here so we can pray for you. We just want to pray and ask God to bless you and strengthen you. So let's start with that. If you're going through a trial, why don't you come on up and just stand here. And I'm, if it's a big one, yes. If it's a small one, yes. Okay. But if it's a trial, come on up right here. So we're just family. Come on up. Don't be bashful. We want to pray. Ask God to strengthen you. Ask God to comfort you. Ask God to help you. So come on up. Right on, David. Come on. Who else? 
Okay, Emily? More? I don't think many of you have trials here, so no pressure, but um, we'd love to pray for you. Okay, let's have some prayers. I mean, my home group, Jan's in my home group, is praying for people, so why don't we be sure to be up here? And um, so we want to make sure that everybody has got a... Let's have all of us stand up. And why don't you guys, why don't you guys who are up here, why don't you face me? And let's, if you are here for prayer, raise your hand so we can have a prayer with each of you. So all these people need need prayer. So we need some more prayers, okay? And a lot of my home group are sick and out of town, so we need some, some of you are going to be assigned to to do some praying. So let's make sure that everybody who's here has a prayer. Thanks, Jason. Thanks, Angela. Okay, good. Need some prayers here? Thanks, Darla. Who else? We need some more prayers. More prayers. Come on up. Okay. Thanks, Chuck. Emily needs a prayer right here. Woman for Emily. Thanks, Minglan. Okay. Anybody else who wants prayer? But I just want us as a body. I mean, we, we all go through afflictions. We all go through trials. And I want us as a body to, to pray. So these each have somebody individually praying for them. But let's all just extend our hands and, 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 and bless them. And let's ask God to, to come in a powerful, real way. So Lord, we do that right now. Lord, we ask that you would come right now and help our brothers and sisters as they are in the midst of trials, afflictions right now. Help them, Father. We ask you in Jesus' name that you would meet them. We pray for comfort to be poured out upon them, that as they open your word and see your love and see your mercy, that you would make your love and mercy real in their hearts by the Holy Spirit, that they would be filled, Lord, and comforted and strengthened by an outpouring of your comfort. So we bless you now in Jesus' name with outpourings of God's comfort. Lord, do that right now, even we pray. Right now, in Jesus' name, bring your power. God, I pray that you would give them hope, that they would know, Lord, that you are going to give them everything they need, all the grace, all the strength, all the provision, all the wisdom, everything they need. Philippians 4.19 My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, let that promise just strengthen their faith right now, I pray in Jesus' name. We ask this together. Strengthen them, Lord. Free them from fear. I pray that you'd free them from hopelessness. God, I pray that we pray together. So fill them with hope in you. That the rest of us, as we see, would be strengthened and would be rejoicing as we see this display of your hope in our midst. Lord, do that for them, we pray. God, we pray that you would deliver them from whatever the affliction is or trial is that they're facing, that you would lift it off of them. We ask you this in Jesus' name, that you would do that. We know that you can just say the word and every affliction that's being faced now will go. It'll just flee. We ask that you would do that. And in the meantime, keep them meditating on your word, in your word, looking to you, trusting you. God, enable them to be blameless in your ways through this trial, that they would be before you, that they would be trusting you, fighting, bringing every weakness, bringing every grief, bringing every discouragement to you, and and looking to you and asking you for help. 
So Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters here that today, now, you would pour out your Spirit upon them and help them. Okay, now those of you who came forward to pray, just go ahead and start to pray over them. As God leads you, he might give you spiritual gifts to speak. You just go ahead and pray. And the rest of you, I just want to speak a blessing. May the Lord strengthen you in every trial that you face, pouring his grace out upon you to meet every need that you have in that situation so that you can trust him, so that you can abound in hope, so that you can encourage others, so that you can bring glory to his name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.